Hey, well, good morning. Um, let me introduce myself. My name is Aaron Cotton. I'm the family discipleship pastor um, here at the Grove, and I uh, I have a confession up front uh, that I would like to admit to you is that I I love Advent. Um, I, I, I there's been talk about celebrating early. Um, actually, in my household, we uh, actually have already put up our Christmas tree two weeks ago. Um, already put up our Christmas lights. Uh, like I, I don't know if y'all have experienced this, but there's been this this pressure uh, in my household, but also uh, in even within our culture, uh, even within our stores. Um, I don't know if y'all like Hobby Lobby, uh, but Hobby Lobby apparently already had their Christmas decorations out like in September. Uh, and so this past week, we actually found ourselves uh, in, in Hobby Lobby. Um, I don't know if y'all like Hobby Lobby, but I consider that the lobby of misery myself. Uh, but we, li- we, we go to Hobby Lobby um, and we do our shopping there. And uh, I, I think it smells like grandma in plastic. And if you're a grandma in the house, that's not offense to you. I just think it smells like uh, just this, 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 this stuff that's going to be invading my house that one day we're going to have to, we're going to have to clear out. And so uh, there's just this, this pressure within our culture uh, to, to hurry up and to celebrate uh, this, this Advent season or what we call, we call Christmas. And I found myself in Hobby Lobby uh, going through, and then when I go to the store, I have to have a mission. So I'll turn to my wife and say, okay, what is our mission? We have to have our list and our checklist, and we'll go into whatever store, and we'll make sure we're on mission. And every now and then, we'll get an off-track mission, and then I'll have to look over at my beloved wife and be like, we're on, where's, where's the, our mission's right here. We've, we've veered off a little bit. Let's get back to, to, our, to our mission. We go to Hobby Lobby, great trip, because we were going in and we're getting out. And we go, to, we go to the lines, and of course, they got like 18 lines that are there, but only three people are working. I feel running this situation. I'm the type of guy that I, I, I'm the worst at finding the right line. You give me three options, I'm going to choose the one that's the worst line. So I'm waiting there in Hobby Lobby. I, I'm there already, don't want to be there. I have my kid, he's reaching for stuff. And I, I, I begin to look around, not that y'all do this, but I do this, as I begin to look around and see who's not doing their job. Why can't we get somebody else to fill another one of these open cashiers so we can get this line moving? Because inside my heart, I like efficiency. And efficiency sometimes can trump. And I begin to be guided by efficiency rather than maybe what the Lord is inviting me into in that moment of even in the midst of wait. Church, it's, it's hard to wait. I don't know how many times in my, in my household we have to tell our son, hey, wait like, w- w- wait, I know, I know you want food, like, right now, but, like, it, it's coming. There's a process, and there's a preparation that takes place. Thing, Aaron, why, 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 why are we talking about this? Because our theme this, this Advent season is the fullness, the fullness of time, which actually comes from Galatians 4. We've been going through the book of Galatians as a church, and we hit the spot in Galatians 4. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And we see in scripture that even in the midst of the wait, even when it is hard and in our longing, when it seems that God is not working, we see that God is actually filling up time. He's not emptying it. And though it may be, he may be silent or hidden on the sur- surface, he's behind the scenes actively and relentlessly wooing and writing a story that is bigger than our story that we could ever write ourselves for his glory and for the good of his people. It just takes us to pause, to take a step back, and to not cave into the pressure, to the pace of, of hurrying, 
to slow down. So our question, my question this morning to open us up is, what are you waiting for, church? We're all waiting for something. What are you longing for? What unmet desires are in you that you are wrestling with? For some of us in this room, some of us are longing to be married. Some of us are longing for a job. Some of us are even longing for a child of our own. Or some of us are longing to be healed. Some of us are longing for purpose. We just celebrated Thanksgiving this past week where we were around a bunch of family that maybe we don't see that often. And maybe some of us are, are longing for our, 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 our family members or our spouse to come to know Jesus or is this longing for reconciliation? Or maybe for some of us, we're longing for addiction to no longer have a hold on you. And so wherever you're at this morning, whatever you come in longing with, I have good news that hope has come. And hope meets us directly where we are at in the midst of the longing. So if you have your Bibles, look with me in Romans chapter 15. Uh, verse 1, Paul talks and writes this, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good and to build him up. In the context of this, Paul is challenging the Christian church. He's saying there are those that are, are, are weaker in the faith, those that are maybe not as mature. And the topic of discussion is food that is sacrificed to idols. And so the, the early church was like, should we eat this food that's been sacrificed to idols? And Paul is saying, hey, like there, there's freedom here. Christ has, has, has delivered us and there's freedom, but don't use your freedom in these gray areas where the Bible is not black and white as a way to judge others. He says we have an obligation to bear with those who are weaker in the faith. And notice what it says. It says, for their good and to build them up. That if we're going to be building each other up within this community, anything outside of the truth of the gospel is not building up. Compromising the truth of the gospel is to gossip with your neighbor or to give them compliments to make you feel better is not, is the, is not the pleasing that Paul is talking about. No, he's talking about speaking the truth in love with kindness and gentleness in hopes that we may be built up towards maturity. And then Paul goes into this, this uh, parenthetical insertion or this, like, this parentheses within the text is where we're, we're going to find our theme for the morning, which is hope. Verse 3, look with me. For Christ did not please himself. If you want to look at somebody who didn't please himself, look at Jesus. But as it is written, according to Psalm 69, the reproaches of those who have reproached me Sorry, reproach you have fell upon me. That Jesus himself, he is our supreme example of one who forsakes his own pleasures in order to advance God's glory. Think about that for a second. Like Christ being our example who forsake his own pleasure for the sake of another. Like that is so countercultural. That, that, that is so backwards in our culture that we would deny ourselves, that we would sacrifice ourselves, our wants and our desires in the moment for the benefit of another person. If you look at our culture, it's, it's all about like whatever pleases you, go do it. Whatever feels good in the moment, like just, just do it. I mean, that's pretty a, a slogan, if I'm remembering correctly, that is banking on the words, just do it. But yet we see in scripture, Jesus as our example denies the pleasure of what he was experiencing, emptied himself, humbled himself so that we could experience life. Like Jesus died so that we could live, church. 
Jesus humbled himself so we could be lifted up. Jesus washed so we could be made clean. Jesus was betrayed so we could be called friend. Jesus was put in chains so we could be free. Jesus was hurt so we could be healed. Jesus was alone so we could be brought close. Jesus was crushed so we could be made whole. Jesus rose to life so we could lay down our life to find our longing and our hope in him. That's backwards, y'all. That's different. That Jesus calls us to come and die so that we could truly live. So what would it look like this week or, or in this season to not please yourself, but to build another up for their good? To not just tell them what they want to hear, but as Proverbs 27 uh, says, that to be, to be that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but how deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. That in our compliments and in our extending affirmation, is there a motivation that's almost deceitful because we need to speak the truth that is wounding. But in the wounding, there's maturity and then there's holiness. This is what we see Paul's talking about. And then he goes to verse 4. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So our, our, our main point this morning, if you're going to write anything down, it would be this. Is our hope is available through the path of endurance and in the encouragement of the scriptures. I think, Aaron, that sounded really creative. It's not. It's Paul, what Paul wrote down right there in verse 4 that hope is available through the path of endurance and encouragement in the scriptures. Those are two words that I just want to unpack for us this morning. That first one being endurance. It's the Greek word, it's a, it's a hupomone, which when next time you're at your Christmas party coming up, just throw that out there just to spice things up. You know what? Hupomone. What? Hippo what? What are you? What, what are you talking about? This, this hupomone in the Greek, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a steadfastness. It's, a, it's an endurance. It's a perseverance. Get this, y'all. It's a person who's not swerved from the faith. It's one who is patient and consistent in the wait. What a relevant word for us this morning during Advent. For us to slow down, to be steadfast, to be consistent in the midst of the wait because our culture and what we see in our world, we, we are in a world of instant gratification. I mean, li literally, gratification is at our fingertips. Like with the click of an app or click of a button, we can get it pretty quickly. If you don't believe me, like look at Google. If you want to know the answer to some question that's going on, maybe you need a recipe or you need, you know, how to decorate your house or whatever question you have rolling around your mind, our natural instinct is, let's just ask Google. You may not get the right answer, but you're going to get an answer in less than a second. That's where our culture is. Maybe not Google. Uh, maybe it's like YouTube. You want to build something. My wife loves DIY projects. And when I got myself a miter saw in order for us to do some projects around the house, I'm not a carpenter, but there are some people on YouTube or some carpenters. So I get on YouTube, new, uh, YouTube something real quick, and I'm able to figure out how to at least put something together. It may not resemble exactly what we're going for, but at least it's, it's something, Right. You don't want to go to the store, there's Amazon. You just go online, click it, search it, buy it within a click of a button. And if you don't even want to do that, the Amazon actually has a button called Amazon Dash 
We can lay around your house and all you have to do is like, oh, I think we're out of like a, you know, laundry detergent. Click the button and you can immediately have in your shopping cart on the way to your house the supplies that you want in a two-day delivery if you have Amazon Prime. You don't feel like typing on your phone? I know it's a lot of work. You got your phone typed. You just speak into it. Siri's there to help you if you're an Apple person. And it will spell it out for you. Need a quick meal? McDonald's right there around the corner. You don't like McDonald's? I don't believe you because there's a billion burgers sold in a day. Someone's eating McDonald's out there. If you don't like McDonald's, there's DoorDash. Just go on DoorDash, order whatever you want. It'll be delivered to your house. Y'all, do you remember when, like, when you had a show and you really liked a show, you would actually have to like, schedule in your week to watch the show? I know our kids like are thinking, that's crazy because there's Netflix, there's now Disney Plus, there's streaming that is now available. Like there's no longer a, a wait or an anticipation. It's all there right before us. And then no longer we wait in like a show at a time, we're watching seasons at a time. That now we've created a culture that is consumeristic, that is leading to entitlement, that is leading to apathy. That no wonder our younger generation maybe doesn't have a mind of their own is because they're so busy and preoccupied with busyness and binging. How we parent this? How do we look at this culture and see how do we, how do we slow down? I'm not saying, don't hear me saying like hitting against Netflix or, man, I love Disney Plus. I was able to get on there the other day and see all the shows that they have, have going on. I'm, I'm geeking out myself about all, all these things. Here's the deal. Technology and where we're at as a culture and the, and the tools that are out there, it's only revealing what's going inside the heart. It's not an issue within those things, but it's only revealing what's going on within us is that when we want something, there's this desire to get it and to get it now. I have a thought for us this morning. In our longing, we can choose instant gratification in the microwave or lean into the depth and the closeness of Jesus in the barbecue pit. Aaron, what in the world? I'm going to repeat that. You can't choose instant gratification in the microwave. We have the choice between the microwave or we have the choice between the goodness of smoked meat in the barbecue pit. And me thinking, oh, we just got an amen and a yes, Lord, in the back. And I know y'all fools love brisket. We had our anniversary lunch a couple weeks ago, and the brisket was gone, y'all. Loaded up. Had my, my fair portion. There's bags of stuff that was left over. All the brisket gone. Because there's something about the process. Because it takes time to make something good. There's a process to it. And if you would ask my friend Eddie Cruz what it's like to smoke meat, it, it, it takes a long time. You not only have to throw it on the pit, you have to get the fire right. You have to go out there and tend to the fire. You got to get the grill clean. You got to go to the meat and doctor the meat up. Like we're a doctor. I got my PhD in meat and brisket. <laughs> Somewhere on YouTube, I'm sure I can go look up and learn some more about, right? So there's, there's this process. And, and when you throw that on the pit, you have to let it sit for hours. I grew up, my dad used to smoke brisket. He converted a propane tank into, into a pit. And we would spend many Christmases and Thanksgivings because people would ask him to smoke meat out there on the farm, tending to the meat to the wee hours of the night. Stoking the fire, going out, flipping the brisket, not flipping the brisket, always tending to the process because it's in the process, church. It's in the anticipation is where maturity and goodness is found. It's not in the microwave. Compare a TV dinner, I don't care how good of a TV dinner, to some brisket, there's going to be a massive, massive difference because it takes time to make things that 
are good. Aaron, why in the world are we talking about smoked meat? Why are we talking about the microwave? It's, it's because church, there's this, even this, this instant gratification that's in us, we can project that on Jesus and God and expect him to bend to our timetable rather than entrusting ourselves to his plan and his timetable. It says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 4 that, that as, as this low, light and momentary affliction, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So in our longing and in, in our waiting, like there, there, there's this preparation of an eternal weight of glory that God has in store for us when we wait on him. And we don't rush into instant gratification. So God's not a rush. He does not bend to our desire. But he intentionally withholds to detach our hands and our grip from our dreams and our wants. To attach it to him. And to his desires and his dream that he wants to birth through you. In the midst of the longing. But how do we get this endurance? It's one thing to talk about this hupomone. It's one thing to, to, to see Jesus and to see his fullness and to, sit and to know that he's on his timetable. He's calls us to wait. But how do we possess this endurance? And I believe it's on the Mount of Olives. When Jesus is a, a, about to go to the cross and he tells his disciples to pray. And they fall asleep. And Jesus is over there. He's literally sweating blood. And it says this in Luke 22. He says, he went down and prayed. He says, Father, if you are willing... If you are willing, hear the longing here, Jesus longing on the Mount of Olives. If you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And at that moment, church, when that, that mindset, when it was a not my will, but, but your will be done, an angel appeared to give him strength. Where does endurance come from? Where does endurance enter the picture? It comes into the not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done because their lies are strength. Also, we see in Hebrews chapter 12, the same word, hupomone, Paul, uh, sorry, the writer of Hebrews, maybe Paul, I don't know. Let, he says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run. Let us run with hupomone. Let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured hupomone, endured the cross. Endurance, church, starts with looking at Jesus in the heat of the battle, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of chaos, to looking to Jesus and not understanding why things are happening the way they are and still saying, but I trust you. It's in the, but I trust you, is where endurance and hope are found. It's in the, not my will, but your will be done. It's in the midst of cancer, we say, I trust you. It's in the midst of singleness, we say, I trust you. It's in the midst of having a conflict with your spouse. It's saying, I trust you. In the midst of fighting against pornography, it's saying, I trust you. It's in the midst of parenting. It's saying, I trust you. It's in the midst of depression, I say, I trust you. In the midst of infertility, I say, I trust you. And even in the midst of death, oh God, but I, but I trust you. It's in the, but I trust you, churches where endurance and hope are found. 
And let me tell you something. We can't conjure this up ourselves. I'm not giving us a pep talk for us to go out to some self-help gym to get your workout on. I'm saying that we can't do this. We can't birth this ourselves. It's one thing I know about parenting. It's this, is that parenting has called me, invites me into like a whole level of dependence that wasn't there before. And the things that are longing, what we're longing for, what we're going through, God is drawing us. He's not separating you. He's not causing distance, but he's inviting you to know him in ways that you never would have known him before in the midst of the pit. And he's cooking up something great. Something that you couldn't even dream or manufacture yourself for his glory and the good of his people. He's working, y'all. Even though it may not seem like it in the midst of the way, even though he's not, you're not feeling it, he's working. He's preparing and he's producing an eternal weight on the other side of this. There's a different you on the other side of this, in the midst of the longing. But how can we trust him? We have this endurance, we have this hypomone, we have this, but I trust you for his glory, not my glory. And we can trust him because he's faithful to his word. That's why Paul says we have this endurance, according to verse 4. We have this endurance also in the encouragement of the scripture, because that's where hope is found. Hope is available through the path of endurance and encouragement. And encouragement, the, the, the Greek word is perikalesis, which is actually our word for where we could get perikalete, which is Holy Spirit. And if anything we know about our Holy Spirit is that he is our comforter. This perikalesis paints a, paints a picture of inviting one to draw near for comfort and consolation. Church, do you need comfort this morning? Do you need consolation this morning? Do you need encouragement this morning? That's why we open up the Bible week in and week out. Because this is our hope. This is, this is our encouragement. And every time we open up the Bible on Sunday morning, every time you open up the Bible in your home, it's an invitation. God is summoning you to find your encouragement and to find your consolation and find your comfort in Him. All, all of Scripture and the Spirit uses this word to invite us to experience him. It's, Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He says, all of Scripture, not just some of it, not just the parts that we like, but all of Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. He may be equipped for every good Work from Genesis to Revelation, all of it has been breathed out, and they find its source in Him, our Comforter, from His breath. When I was in junior high, I used to uh, play the saxophone because I thought if you played the saxophone in junior high, um, I, I, I would have, uh, you know, score some with some ladies. And so uh, the ladies I thought would like saxophone, turns out junior high girls don't care for the saxophone, uh, believe it or not. And I, uh, I remember being actually somewhat okay at the saxophone. Uh, and I remember uh, learning how to play the saxophone. One of the things that they taught us early on, like, like step one, was how to breathe. And I remember thinking, like, I got this instrument that I'm paying all this money for that's just sitting there. And, like, we're working on our breathing in band. I'm like, this is pointless. Like, I just want to play some music, y'all. That's why I showed up to this thing. That's why I want to be a part of the band. It's not work on my breathing but what I learned as I was reflecting on this past week is that it's in the breathing that actually produces music. And if you don't know how to breathe, you can't play. Because a saxophone without breath is pointless. 
Why are we talking about a band? Why are we talking about a saxophone? Because God calls us his instruments, his poema, Ephesians 2 verse 10, his workmanship, his, his, his masterpiece. And if we don't have the breath of God in us, if we're not getting it from him, then we're not making any noise. But we are his instruments. We are to receive his breath. That's why we see in, in Genesis chapter 2 from the very beginning when God creates humanity, what's he do? He, for, he, he gets close, y'all. He, he gets into the ground and he, he breaks up the ground. He, he tills it up. He forms. He makes, he makes, he fashions man. And what does he do? He, he gets close and he breathes life into him. Because it's in the breath is where we find our life. That literally the lungs that we have and the breath that we have that are going in and out, in and out, have come from God himself. It literally sustains us. But breath, we've turned away and maybe found breath somewhere else. We've walked away from the source of life. And this is why we see Jesus on the cross saying that he breathed his last Church, so we can find our saving breath in is finished. To exhale, to inhale those words. And also in John 20, after Jesus rose from the dead, he's hanging out with his disciples. Do y'all remember this moment? We're going through the book of John. And Jesus in his post-resurrection selves, it, it, he says he breathed on the disciples to receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know what that moment looked like. After Jesus just rose from dead and he goes and he just breathes on his disciples. The disciples are thinking, like, what is going on? Like, gee, that's, okay, I, I don't even know what to do with that right now. But what's Jesus showing us? Is that we must be breathed on and inhaled. It is finished. The spirit in order to make music that we were created to do and to live and to breathe. We are his instruments. Church, are you struggling to find your breath this morning? And I'm not talking like out of shape, like you went to the gym, you're running, like, like you, you just had some hard time breathing. I'm, not, I, I, I'm talking about the strain and stress of life. Is it, is it hard to find your breath raising your kids? Is it hard to find breath paying your bills? Is it hard to find breath in your relationships? Because here's our oxygen tank. And within this oxygen tank is oxygen called the spirit, which he breathes life into us to make life possible, to make music. You know you're going to be hearing a music lesson this morning, how music works. But there's music, y'all. There's music that God invites us into. That's why Paul busts out in prayer. Look at me in verse 5. It says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Here it is. That together you may with one voice, with one breath, we as a church, as the grove, with one breath would glorify God and our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. That this endurance that we're talking about, this hypomone or this encouragement comes directly from God himself. He is faithful and he is sure according to the scriptures. This is what we see. When we open up the Bible, we see what God is like. He's not the dad who said he was going to be somewhere and didn't show up. No, he has showed up and he has been pursuing you before you even knew it or even wanted him. You didn't find him or choose him. He chose you before you were even a thought in your mom and dad's brain. He's been pursuing us. 
And throughout all the scripture, we're reminded that our loving dad invites us to come out of hiding, to find our security and our sufficiency in him. It's almost a whisper if we hear it. Amongst all the hustle and the bustle we just prayed about, amongst all the noise, would we channel our breath and, and with one voice proclaim the might and glory of Jesus. This is what we were created for. Church, what piece of scripture has been encouraging to you lately? What if we went to our neighborhood groups tonight, if you're meeting tonight? What if, our, what if we asked the question, what, what encouragement have you found from scripture? What are some verses that we could, we could share with one another? What, what can we be getting, like using our breath to not suck life out of the place, but what can we be doing to actually contribute? And what can we be sharing that God has been stirring within us? And let's pray about that. And let's dream about that. What has he been doing? Because in that, y'all, when we, when we use our breath and we share the scriptures to one another, we drown out the voice of the enemy and the voice of this world so we can channel ourselves to be propelled and moved by him, by his breath, and speak breath and speak life into our neighborhoods and our networks and even into the nations. So if there's an encouraging verse for me that if you were to ask me the same question I just asked you, I found so much encouragement in Genesis chapter 3 this past week. Because there in Genesis chapter 3, we have the enemy who comes and uses his voice to whisper lies. Did God really say? Did God really say, Eve, that if you do this, that you will surely die? You won't surely die. And she buys into the voice and she buys into the lie and yet corruption happens, rebellion happens, shame enters into the picture. And yet despite our faithlessness, we see God is faithful, continuing to pursue his people. If you have your Bible, flip with me to Genesis chapter 3. As we go on an adventure, let's go on a little journey this morning. In the midst of rebellion, of chaos, Verse 8 says in Genesis chapter 3, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. It's almost as if like, like all this cool weather that we're experiencing. Like I, I, I love getting outside. I, I, I've been enjoying, enjoying my, my little man, all the lights. and Because there's a relationship there. We, we, we go out there at the night and we look at all the things. And I said, get the picture, y'all. Like, the Lord is walking in the cool of the day. It's almost as if they used to do this daily. He's walking in the cool of the day. And he's not bringing a hammer. He's looking to connect. And yet we see man and we see humanity hiding. Like they're playing hide and seek with God. Where God sees all things. He knows all things. He's everywhere. He sees everything. But yet in verse 9 he says, He calls out to the man. He said to him, Where are you? God knows all things. He sees them behind the trees. Church, God invites us today, excuse me, to come out of bracing for impact so that we can find the embrace we long for in him. That throughout all of scripture, he's inviting us to come out of hiding. And notice that when God deals with humanity in Genesis chapter 3, he asks questions. The periods only come when he talks to the serpent. In verse 10, he says, I heard, this is humanity talking, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman 
The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, he deceived me and I ate. We see guilt, we see fear, we see shame, we see hiding, and then we see a lot of blame. I don't know if this happens in y'all's household, right? The kids, it's always their fault, their fault, not my fault. Like this is right from the beginning, right? This is like a product of Genesis 3. This is our, our nature. But in the midst of the blame, in the midst of the brokenness, y'all, here's our hope. Our father comes and he says, Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all the beasts of the field, in your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Here's our hope, y'all. Verse 15. Here it is. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. If you're reading Genesis chapter 3, you see this, who's this he? Like you... You got, you got the father and you got Adam and Eve and you got, like, that's about it. And you got the animals, but like, what he could he possibly be talking about that right in the beginning and, and of all this out of isolation, God is making a promise. This is the proto-evangelion. This is the first gospel message of saying to, that he's saying to humanity that he's going to restore that which is broken. And he's going to make things right through, the, through this mysterious He. The serpent will be crushed on the head. But this mysterious he, he's also going to be crushed. But in his crushing, he's going to undo evil. And he's going to make things right. He's going to restore order in relationship. It's no wonder in Isaiah 53, as Isaiah's writing, he writes, for he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Our brokenness finds healing in the brokenness of the suffering servant. In order for us to find reconciliation and forgiveness to take place, church, there, there, must, be, there must be a sacrifice. And there in Genesis chapter 3, God makes this promise. He's going to make things right. And in verse 21, we, if we're reading it, we, we, like we're just skimming through, we can miss it. And there in verse 21... Moses writes, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. At a point where Adam and Eve are in shame, they're hiding, they've sewn fig leaves together to cover, cover themselves up. It wasn't the proper clothing, so God had to kill an animal to provide proper garments for their hope. Church, what fig leaves have you sewn up or covered up when God is inviting us to adorn the garments that are available in Jesus. Because God brings death to one thing, to bring life to another. That we're no longer to be living in figs, fig leaves of shame, but now we're replaced by garments of hope. That in the midst of darkness, there's this glimmer in the garment and in the promise of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And then all of Scripture is pointing back to this anticipation of one that's going to come to make things right. And Eve in Genesis chapter 4, she thinks Genesis 3.15 is fulfilled. She thinks this is it. Cain is here. He's, he's the promise. He's, he's the promised one. And if we know anything about Cain, like 
We quickly learn that he kills his brother. And it's like, okay, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he wasn't the Genesis 3.15 promise. So there's this anticipation of the next. And then there's Noah. And then there's Abraham. And then there's Moses. And then there's David, this young guy named David who takes a slingshot. And he encounters a guy named Goliath who has like garments of a skin, according to the scriptures. And where does, J where does, D where does David strike Goliath? Right in the head. Why? Because there was this anticipation of one to crush the head of the serpent. Could it be David? Could it be he? Could it be the 315 promise that we are longing for? But we know that David's heart gets led astray. His eyes landed on a woman that shouldn't have been landed on. And his heart's led astray. And adultery enters the picture. And murder enters the picture. And he tends to cover it up through fig leaves. And God says, oh David... You're not the one, but there's one going to come through you. I'm going to make a promise to you, this glimmer of hope, that there's one to come. Is it going to be Solomon? No, it's not going to be Solomon. And then Israel literally spirals out of control into isolation. God has left, and God raises up prophets to speak truths like this. I will take you from the nations, Israel. There will be one point you'll be gathered back, and I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to put my spirit within you. And then in Micah, Micah prophesies, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for shall from you come forth one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from of ancient of days. And then Isaiah writes, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then God went silent for 400 years. And the people longed. And the people waited in hope of the Genesis 3.15, the one who's going to crush the serpent's head to make things right. And this is the point where we'll close, and I had such a temptation to get to Jesus, to get to the story, to get to Luke 2. But we're going to close there. That in the midst of silence, and hear me, I'm doing quotes, God not doing anything, he actually is doing something. In the 400 years when he went silent, he's still working. So you may not be feeling it this morning. It may be silent for you this past week. You may, the God of endurance and encouragement, he's on the move. And though our feelings or other voices may say different, we have a whole account of God's faithfulness, that he is sure to his promise. He always keeps his promises. Our faithful snake crusher has come, and he's delivered a blow taking the breath out of the enemy to give us our breath back. Therefore, let us use our breath and with one voice join in with the angels in the heavens who are declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is, who was, and who is to come. Hope is here and is available through the path of endurance and in the encouragement of the scriptures. Let me pray. We'll lift our voices up. Lord Jesus, uh, we're grateful that you've come uh, because we, we'd be lost uh, without you. God, we go through some scriptures and we go on this journey all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 because maybe for some of us, we may 
be experiencing some blame or there may be some, some hiding that's going on. There may be some anxiety in this season or maybe some things that have come up this past week during Thanksgiving that are bogging us down. God, even though we're not feeling it, even though that we may not even see it or may not even hear it. God, we know your truth and we know your word because it, it gives life to our souls. And so I, I pray in our, in our parenting and in, in, in our worshiping and our serving and our being neighborly, God, in our, our mission, God, we wouldn't first miss and catch our breath in you. Because if we don't go to you, our source, our, our oxygen tank, then we're going to be left with fumes. So there may be some of us who are tired this morning, some of us who are just exhausted. God, I pray that you just breathe life on this place. Not only on this place, but within our souls. And that when we feel hopeless, when we feel you're not working, we'd open up your, your truth and your word and see, God, you're working. And you're actually producing in us a weight of glory. There's a, there's a weight on the other side. And it looks a lot more like you than what we could do for ourselves. Thank you for giving us our breath back. Jesus, thank you for taking the breath out of the enemy. He's been defeated. Therefore, we have hope. We love you, God. In your name I pray. Amen.